Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Billy Reed, founder and designer of his Alabama-based namesake fashion brand. The menswear market, like many markets, has been shaken up since March, so I wanted to ask Reed about how he's managed to hang in there, plus what he's done to compensate for the cancellation of the brand's signature annual event, Shindig. Welcome, Billy. Hey, thank you for having me. This is fantastic. Oh my gosh, we're so I'm so excited you're here. I mean, you don't yeah. know this, but I back when tell me if I'm wrong, as I remember it, back at New York New York Fashion Week, you would have maybe a presentation or a runway show that was just menswear. I, I anyway, I've been going to Fashion Week a long time. I used to go to your shows. I used to read about Billy Reed in Details magazine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, you started out menswear, correct? Strictly menswear? That's correct. Yeah. Started in menswear in, um, yeah, 1998, actually. So it's been a long time <laughs> with a lots of, you know, lots of ups and downs and, you know, a few uh, stops and starts. But yeah, started in men's and then uh, went into women's in 2001. And yep. of course, we had some pretty significant setbacks after 9-11. And uh, when we started back, uh, you know, after regrouping, uh, that's when I'd moved to Alabama and uh, we restarted. And in 2004, we relaunched, uh, just just open our own, in our, uh, opening our own stores. So there was no wholesale component at that point, and it was strictly men's. Uh, and then 2008, once we had opened in New York and started to wholesale and you know, bring other folks in into the mix. Uh, a few years after that, we got started back into women's. Awesome. So let's talk mm-hmm. about that start, re- stop, restart. <laughs> uh, 1998 to 2002, I feel like you did at that point what a lot of folks are doing now, which is, am I right? You were based in New York when you kicked mm-hmm. off um, and you kind of decided, you know, this isn't working. I'm going to, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go to Alabama. I'm going to do it my way. Um, talk to me mm-hmm. about what happened there. Yeah. So in 98, uh, you know, when I started, actually I was living in, in Texas at the time in Dallas. Oh wow. Um, we were there. Uh, I had one child at the time, a young child and, and my wife was there. Um, so we, I commuted back and forth to New York every week. So I had an apartment oh, in wow. New York, uh, would come home on the weekends or, you know, or they would come up to New York and, uh, did that for, you know, three years and things were going great. We had some really nice, um, accolades that came our way from the CFDA and yes. that was in June of 2001. And then, uh, I had a show. Our uh, kind of our, which would have been kind of our breakout runway show was September 10th, uh, the day before the terrorist attacks. And then, yeah, so everything just kind of, and and my business partner at the time was in the dot-com business. That whole thing had burst and it was just kind of a perfect storm. And we were sort of struggling with the fact of me commuting at the time anyway. And uh, my wife is one of nine children from a very large family uh, here in Florence, Alabama. And we decided to, um, you know, we sort of looked at each other, said, we're going to move to New York. We're going to move to Brooklyn. We're going to move to Connecticut. And I said, let's move to Alabama. I said, you know, if I'm going to be in this world of going back and forth, 
let's get to a spot where we really want to be and can be around family. And yeah, and that was probably the best decision we ever could have made, you know, nice. so it helped us kind of reset life. We, I mean, literally had to start all over. I mean, it was, uh, it was a, it was a rough few years there before we were able to kind of get things together. Yeah. And what have you found in terms of the necessity of New York? Do you, are you still going back and forth all the time? Is it, have you become, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know well, I, I, I was going back and forth uh, all the time, uh, but until, you know, obviously all the, our current situation, you know, no, I haven't been since now since, since February, but yeah, I was making, you know, like every week or every couple of weeks back and forth to New York. Um, so we were, yeah, so I've never really lost touch with New York in that way. Um, so sort of that dual citizenship in some ways, um, but definitely being based here has, um, we've, we've figured out how to make that work, you know? Definitely. What can you tell me? You've seen it all 20 years in the business about Mm -hmm. in particular, first of all, menswear to womenswear, what percentage of your Mm -hmm. sales? What's, what's the balance there? We range anywhere from 75, 25 to 80, 20, you know, yeah. somewhere in that range, men's to women's. And that, and women's right now is, we own, I'm speaking just in our retail shops. Yeah. Uh, we, we do not wholesale the women's collection currently, but right. we definitely see it as, um, as a growing part of, of, of the future for us. Yeah. Well, my question was going to be based on menswear. So it does make sense that we're focusing on it a bit more. Um, But the menswear market right now, um, it just seems wild. It seems like it's seeing um, it's getting hit harder even maybe, I don't know, than some of the women's wear brands um, Mm -hmm. in terms of Brooks Brothers and J. Crew and even like John Varvatos, which is is a totally different style, but I feel like mm-hmm. it kind of speaks your language, which which ha- with having the mm-hmm. kind of music music built into the DNA mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. What could you tell me about about yeah the menswear market now? Um, yeah, I'm sure you're feeling feeling the challenges. Yeah, um, it's it, it's it's. I mean, we haven't gone through anything like this before, but I do sort of try to look back at some of those. Um, you know, times 2008 was a tough time, you know, right yeah. after the financial crisis. I mean, for us, we had opened our shop in New York that literally flung the doors open the day the stock market crashed. So that was a kind of a big reset for <laughs> us. Um, it's it's going to it's tighten it's tightening the marketplace, you know, in such a such a major way. You know, there are people that are, you know, not making it. And there'll probably be a few more that aren't going to make it. We have been so fortunate to have just a, a loyal customer base. Um, and we've been able to adjust, you know, financially and, and, um, marketing why, you know, just really, we've been, we've been very lucky. I would say very fortunate. Yeah. What can you tell me about the, um, maybe learnings from the 2008, uh, crisis there did you learn like you had invested in physical retail did you Uh kind of think that that was something you could pull back on moving forward or where did you pull back there or what did you learn then well we definitely pulled back um just you know expense wise you know that was a major thing all the all the incremental expenses you know whether it be you know marketing and promotional we really sort of dug in in that way um we had to reduce staff in, in some cases. We had to renegotiate leases yep. for, you know, where we had 
again, we just opened in New York. That was major, <laughs> a major yes. ta- uh, take on for us at that point. Um, so there were a lot of adjustments in that way. But I think one of the main things that came out of that is we felt if we could make it through the rough times, we would come out so much stronger, you know, because we knew there would be some folks that would not make it. And we felt like the resilience of being able to stay in the game uh, and really kind of put the foot to the pedal uh, during that time would, would only help us. And we, I look back on that and that was, that was a wise move because we really did start to see a lot of great things happen for us, you know, right after just coming out of it. So survival was key. Yeah. And, and I've, and you know, some ways after 2001, even though we had lost everything, I just felt like when you go through those sort of things that are so, you know, pretty tragic to you business-wise, you realize you come out of it realizing what's important. You know, like, hey, I've, I've got my family. You know, we've got each other here. Uh, that's all that matters. And you sort of put that aside, and it really kind of gives you a confidence to yeah. go out and, and take those risks. Uh, knowing that at the end of the day, putting things in perspective is very important. Yeah. When you put things in perspective, uh, where does that leave your, I guess, your focus? Uh, Where did you maybe, were you able to trim the fat and decide this doesn't really matter to us for our brand where it may, you know, matter to others? Yeah, I think you trim it, you know, certainly when you look at your marketing expense. We'll just take that for, yeah. you know, where you might have uh, contracted out to uh, hypothetically make 5,000 books that you were going to send out to customers. It's like you, you sort of rethink that and go, you know what, I'm going to make a hundred books and we're going to make them ourselves by hand. And we're going to focus on doing it this way versus, right. you know, so you really start to, you have to you have to go back into that phase where you where you started, where yeah. you did everything yourself. You know, you didn't have you didn't rely on someone else to to make those books for you. Um, you didn't uh, have a huge event in your store where you spent two, three, four thousand dollars on a caterer. You figured out how to can yeah. you make something? Can you make something yourself? Can you get a partner to? you know, a, a local restaurant partner to work with you and trade them clothes or, you know, whatever. Nice. Uh, totally. You really, be, you, you become, you have to come that self-starter. You have to be kind of look to how you started and take on some of those things yourself, you know, where money, yes. holding onto your cash becomes super important. And you look yes. at that at all levels, you know, even at store staff and, you know, can we work the sales for ourselves some or, what are we, how do we, how do we manage through this? Nice. How large is your company now in terms of number of people? Uh, let's start there. Yeah, we, uh, right now, if you add up the stores um, and store people and all staff, I believe we're right around 80 people right now, 80 to okay. 90 people. Yes. We've had, we've had some, you know, cutbacks where we've had to trim back over the past several months and, um, you know, at, at all levels, whether it was development, marketing, um, certainly in the stores, and um, but we're we feel like we're leveling off there. Yeah. So, fourteen stores right now. Is that correct? Am I in the ballpark? I believe that's correct. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, and mostly yeah. in the South plus New York. 
<laughs> yeah, New York, uh, Chicago. We have two two shops in New York, uh, a shop in Chicago and uh, DC, and then some in Texas and Tennessee and uh, New Orleans. Yeah, um, two in Alabama. So we're, yes. we're sort of spread out a little bit, but mainly uh, mainly based in the South. But you know, definitely our shops in the Midwest and New York do very well. So. Yes. You still believe in the, the power of those stores. You want to keep them all open, open more. What's your take now? We do. I mean, we want, we want to, um, I think we'd certainly want to be bullish on retail, but also be cautious about it. Um, once we've, we've now reopened all of the shops, um, it certainly traffic right. is lighter, but we're doing things to generate traffic, you know, a lot of personal shopping, uh, our people are just wonderful at that. They have such great connections with their customers. Nice. Uh, and again, it kind of gets back a little bit to, you know, I think of my mom and when she had her shop, you know, growing up and it was a, you know, she was on the phone calling her, you know, calling her friends, calling her customers going, Hey, this just came in. You're going to love it. And, you know, yeah. some of those sort of retail 101 principles are still work. Uh, nice. And so we, we we believe in that. But I think we definitely, you know, for us, the social aspect of it has been always been important. You know, we love to throw events. We love to entertain. Folks come to our shop to have that experience. So definitely an overused word these days. But, um, you know, that's how we started. You know, we were a place where people wanted to come and hang out. Yeah. And what we find now is in during these times, um there's still there's still people that want to get out and do that. And I think soon as we we we're bullish on it. We believe once all, you know, once everything does clear that, you know, eventually that will be it will come back. You know, people will want to return to that. We're all social animals in many ways. So Yes. People will definitely want to return to Shindig, which we will dig into because <laughs> I am literally obsessed with the concept. I wasn't aware of it and I studied up and I'm like, I need to get there. But um, before yeah. we go there, the stores, um, percentage of sales, I guess, right now between the stores, uh, let's say prior to March, stores, yeah. um, e-commerce and, and your wholesale partners. Uh, we had a pretty good blend. Um, I mean, retail was our was our biggest um biggest part of that. And I'm going nice. to probably just say in general, I would say, yeah. uh, you know, 30 wholesale, 45 retail, 25 e-com. Yeah. That's just a, I'm just guessing. I'm that's not a great. big, no, I'm not a huge numbers person, but that's probably about where the mix is. Mix, I mean, now we're obviously with, with, with COVID and the shutdown, uh, the digital part of the business has increased dramatically. Um, oh my and, gosh! And we see and, and we see that you know certainly continuing. And, yes. What and are the they buying? Thing, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Shoo. Um, a, a little bit of everything. I mean, uh, nice. Obviously, the 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 uh, the tops part of the the category is has been huge. I mean, for us too, we 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 have pieces that have been in the collection for many years that can you know that we sort of become our core essentials that, that kind of never, never leave the floor or never leave the, the website, so to speak, that yep. we inventory pretty deeply. And that part of the business has been super strong for us. Um, and 
Uh, and that's also a safe way to kind of approach things in some ways, you know, have an inventory and those things that you know people want, you know, are going to sell day to day after day is uh, not only important for us in our shops, but it's also important for our retail, you know, for our retail uh, partners. You know, they want to, I mean, you want to have something on your floor that, you know, is going to sell. So uh, totally. we sort of use that as a building block uh, for the business. Yes. I feel like you're in a happy place where nothing you did was, I mean, it's luxury, it's wear, but it's wearable. It's not overly formal, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Are there categories mm-hmm. that you're maybe phasing out just because of the direction that, that fashion's going and the world is going or maybe things that you're leaning into if it is those core, maybe more comfortable basics or yeah. Yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely leaning into those, leaning into those core things in a, in a pretty big way. Um, yeah. Not necessarily expanding that offering; it's just being deeper in some ways, or adding, you know, expanding color in some way, you know, in some of those pieces. Not necessarily uh, just adding styles to to, to you know, adding to it yeah. to add to it. We really use that as like, hey, this item has been super successful for us. Uh, we need to keep we need to keep it in stock. So we use that, but. Uh, and, and there's certain categories like outerwear and, you know, for us, it's really that range. You know, we, there, there's an $88 polo shirt that we've had in the collection since 2007 that has been one of our better items for years and years. Yet on the other side, you know, there's a Sherling coat that's on the rack that's certainly at a high price point. And, you know, we're, yeah. we, um, Right or wrong, that works for us. And we sell both of those things very well, you know, the high end and sort of the opening price point. And we want to can, I like that. Because yeah. <laughs> that's how we, that's how we dress. I mean, that's how people dress. That's what your closet looks like, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's worked for us. So we see that continuing, really focusing on those very, very special luxury pieces and yet also having, you know, sort of your, uh, day-to-day things that, that you've come to love from us. Definitely. Did you come across the same, I guess, uh, there are two ways to look at inventory problem. And first of all, in terms mm-hmm. of the supply chain and getting getting what you needed in order to sell mm-hmm. it, but also in terms of your wholesale partners and were they canceling orders? Were you getting left with a bunch of sale, items to put on sale? What was happening with inventory? I will say yes to all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, fun time. <laughs> you know, I yeah. Think, yeah, fun time. I mean, it absolutely. I mean, something like this is a huge scramble. Uh, you know, talking about the supply chain, I mean, you know, we m- m- many of our, you know, fabrications and uh, manufacturing is in Europe. So when Europe is shut down, uh. it's hard to get the goods out of there. You know, there's nobody working. So you have that. And then you also have the fact that you do have retailers trying to cut back on their orders and we had that situation, you know, so you're adjusting, you know, what stage is the product in? Is it at the cutting stage? Is it at just the raw material stage or is it at the finished product stage? So you go through the analysis of all of those things, uh, you know, where we could, we cut, you know, and we really, and we were very fortunate. We were able to, to, to make adjustments that protected cash flow, protected inventory, not in all cases, you know, but uh, I would, our team did a, just a marvelous job of getting through that and getting the collection sampled on time for the next right. season through all the shutdown and getting fall um, 
adjusted, you know, from a, from a inventory standpoint, from an item standpoint, uh, based on any sort of lost business that we had and also getting it where it's going to be coming in on time. Nice. So I, our team, I I have to commend them. They have done a terrific job in that area of adjustment. (laughs) Working remotely. Hey, we have, (laughs) I feel like in some ways we have been better working remotely Uh, and we're still, we're still working remotely. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm in my kitchen right now, but, um, yeah, it's, um, we found that the communication actually has improved. Um, productivity has been wonderful. And even, you know, the perfect example is what we just talked about somehow not being in the office, all of that stuff happened, uh, somewhat seamlessly. Nice. Is there any going back? Why go back to the office? <laughs> that's going to be tough. I'm telling you, uh, we, we are going, we are going to the office. I mean, actually, you know, this, this whole adjustment also has affected how we approach wholesale. You know, we're, we're yeah. not in, we don't, we had, uh, closed our New York office uh, about a year and a half ago and we realized we could do those appointments, whether we, we would just rent a photo studio for a couple of weeks during market week, or we would host the kind of getting back to the way things started. We would host the appointments in our shop. Uh, we would find uh, a really cool loft and yeah. set up, you know, and we would do that for each market cycle. Uh, well, with everything now, we had to completely adjust that and go virtual all the way. So um, the team has, you know, we created swatch books. We set up a, a virtual showroom in a, a space right behind our office. And we've been able to connect with all of our accounts that way, show them the collection and nice. even actually have opened up new accounts uh, over this period. So it's really another adjustment. And I, I, I just fabulous job by the team. Yes. But it's the wave of the future. You know, it really is. I mean, that's how we're going to have to do this for a while. And I think people, just like you said, working from home, uh, the buyers are the same. <laughs> They're going to be the same way. If they <laughs> feel that they can stay in their office and have us take them through this presentation, show them the collection, and they get a great feel for it that way. Yeah. It's like traveling without having to travel. What have you found in terms of the wholesale retail partners that that makes sense for the brand? I know you're sold at Huckberry. I'm such a fan of the the guys at mm-hmm. Huckberry. I'm like, for yeah. instance, why does that one make sense? Well, with Huckberry, um, I've had a relationship with Ben for quite some time, uh, who's yeah. who's creative director there, and and so it was there was a natural fit on a personal level, but from a, from a business standpoint, we found that we shared uh, we just shared a lot of customers. And so when, and they do such a wonderful job of telling uh, our story and telling the story about what we put into the product. And it's been unbelievably successful. Um, Some of our best selling items for last, the last couple of seasons have been where we partnered with them on things and they've been able to tell that story. We tell the story and it's, it's a huge spike uh, in the, on, on a particular item. And it's through uh, those it's, epic it's, emails that they do. They do those amazing emails. Oh, such a wonderful job. I mean, yeah. it's, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, something to learn from. Um, and for us, again, there's such a, 
a shared connectivity, not only with us as a relationship, but also the relationship with our customers. And yeah, um, when we can find those types of things, I think that's also a little bit of what the future looks like, you know, how you can build that community of, of people and uh, where you share like-minded values and, and, and viewpoints and customers and where that aligns. I think that works perfectly. Absolutely. Are there, is that kind of a rule going forward? Um, when linking with new partners, retail partners, um, you want to have your story told in some way you want to kind of, yes, (laughs) direct that as opposed to just items on a shelf. Oh man, absolutely. I mean, we just, um, had an appointment with, um, Harrods in London, you know, and it was a virtual appointment. And before the appointment started, you know, we had, we had met with him a a few times over the years and to, to not uh, get in the shop. And we started the appointment this time really going, going back to how things begun. I said, you know, the first appointments we ever had for wholesale, we did them in the bottom of the Bond Street shop. You know, we turned the shop into a, a showroom. So we started the appointment in our shop in Florence, Alabama. Yeah. And I took them through the artwork, how we did the space and, you know, took them through the, the pieces and the history of like how, why this piece has been here for 10 years. And uh, what are the details in this piece that make it uh, relate to what we're doing? And it was one of the best appointments we've ever had. Nice. And they want to be able to take that story and help us tell that story. You know, and the same thing with Huckberry, you know, when you can yeah. find someone that really digs in and, and wants to help because that's what um, that's what it's all about. You know, you want somebody to help you tell your story. And I, yeah. I feel like that that's um, that's been successful and I think it will continue to be. Yes. Talk about getting the label, the brand off the ground. You you mentioned briefly, <laughs> which you didn't give yourself enough credit, the, the CFDA um, accolades. I think it's four awards, menswear, uh, best new menswear designer, best menswear designer. How important are those, I guess, for gaining respect in the fashion world? It, does that even matter? And for getting your name out there? Yeah, you know, I think uh, it, it, it was a huge boost, um, you know, because we were able to to people, for people to discover us, uh, customers and industry folks, you know, we were coming out of, out of, you know, here's this brand that's based in Florence, Alabama. And (laughs) what, what are they, where are they and, and who are they? And, you know, again, having that, they were able to help us tell our story where people could discover us. And it gave us that boost of uh, confidence and, you know, their endorsement it goes yeah. a long way. You know, it, it's something um, something I definitely don't take for granted. Um, for sure. For, for sure. Um, <laughs> and also those came, you know, getting back, those were, you know, 2010 through 2012 when all of that was happening there. But that was sort of the result of coming out of 2008. You know, yes. being able to be strong and, you know, be have be bullish on, um, you know, on the future of the business. And I think it also helped the fact that we had opened in New York on Bond Street. The store was this place where people could hang out and it became that, you know, 
Yes. Uh, it became very social. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very social, let's just say. A lot yes. of late nights. And um, those relationships I still have today. And they're, yeah, uh, yeah those, are, those are great times. Yes. Talk about, again, I'm sure that the cash wasn't free-flowing again in 2001 <laughs> no. and 2008. No. Was fundraising coming into play? Yeah. Um, talk about, I guess, growing the business, the profitability of the business. Yeah, where... Yeah. What all went into this? <laughs> yeah, you know, we, um, I mean, we have been so fortunate. I've, our partners um, have believed in this, believed in us, believed in the business uh, really since since day one and continue to feel that way. Uh, we're, we're basically financed uh, with two families that are based in, in the South, one family in Memphis that has Kim and Kimmons Wilson investment investment group. And uh, they've, again, I don't, their support uh, and belief in us has kept us, you know, given us this opportunity to stay resilient get yeah. through these tough times, uh, as well as, um, you know, the Anderson family, uh, you know, Joel Anderson, who is here locally in, uh, in Florence has, you know, all these, these people have just been a godsend to us, uh, nice. and believing in, you know, not only what we're doing, you know, here, what we've been able to do here in Florence, and, and grow a bit and grow a small business in a small town that's meant a lot to the community here, but also the potential of what this could be and how we've been able to grow it, supporting our future, you know, really has been wonderful. Yes. What's been kind of some key growth moments? You have, I don't know how new your CEO mm -hmm. is. I know you have some some bigger hires, I guess, um, within the last couple of years. But yeah, what's been key? Yeah, uh, that was definitely a key, you know, uh, getting through 2008 again was a big <laughs> yeah. key. Um, getting Mr. Anderson's support financially gave us a chance to sort of take the business and, and from where we were trying to do everything ourselves, what we talked about, and being able to get help and bring in the right people to support the business uh, and market the business and was huge. And then in 2000. <laughs> Sorry, I get Whatever my years messed up. 2018, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, bringing on the uh, the Wilson family uh, in in tandem with Mr. Anderson yeah. was it was a, a new wave of investment and uh, and support and energy more than anything else. They've had such an energy towards the business, and you know they're involved in our day to day activities. And then bringing in, uh, you know, for us, I was transitioning out of my old partners, which I'd started Billy Reed with in '04. Uh, transitioning from from that situation to uh, a new CEO, new investment, uh, brought on uh, Mark Daly, who was president at Ralph Lauren in Asia. And so that was another sort of key yeah. moment for us. Um, yeah, those have been That's great. big, big um, sort of on the timetable. Totally. Speaking of, back to CFDA, have you kind of played, I wouldn't say like, Maybe played by their rules. Have you stuck to the fashion calendar? <laughs> Are you still doing Fashion Week? What What do you think of all that right now? You know, I don't. We 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 <laughs> we, <laughs> we play by the rules for the most part. I mean, we definitely kind of march our own drum. You know, I I feel like we've we've done that just by being here in Alabama in some ways. You know, kind of doing it away from a a large fashion capital. But Fashion Week now 
probably looks more like what we had just talked about with the wholesale appointments. It's, sure. it's going to be virtual. So content is going to be king, you know, how we can program that. Um, I, for us, I've always believed that it, it doesn't have to be four times a year. It should be two times a year. I also think having the customer somehow involved is such an opportunity. Yep. Uh, getting back to Shindig, you know, the last the last three Shindigs, we've actually shown the had a runway show nice. during Shindig, and yep. you know we're selling right from the show. Of there, you know, we bring there's four hundred of our best customers sitting in an audience getting to experience, you know, a quote unquote New York type runway show in yes. Alabama. And that has worked very well for us. That so we, sense. yeah, we believe we can uh, hopefully take that into a virtual environment, uh, not only for editorial where you, I think, and I think also, you know, it, and, it, and it working for the, for the customer but also I think with the virtual world, you have to take the virtual and make it personal. Yep. You can't just slap stuff Agree. up there. What has built our business has been those personal relationships, whether it was with editors, whether it was with our customers. And we have to somehow bring that to um, to this little box I'm looking at right now. Totally. <laughs> and that's a challenge. And, and, and that's a challenge. But I also think that's the opportunity for us. For sure. Okay. Paint the picture. For those who don't know, for those who think they know what experiential marketing is, <laughs> yeah. what is Shindig? What What is it all about? Paint. Yeah. Tell, share. Yeah. You tell the story. <laughs> Shindig is sometimes hard to explain. I will say that. But it, the best way to what it has evolved into is a gathering of people, a gathering of Music, food, art, photography, um, all into one weekend. So it's a, it's a cultural deep dive into um, into a, into this little what's now become sort of a festival in some ways. Uh, and For we sure. host it here in in uh, in Florence, Alabama, which if and if you know a little bit about the area, which is very sort of famous for its recording studios, you know, with the Rita Franklin recording here, the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan, I mean, thousands of people that made music here. And so it's got this super creative energy. And Shindig started as literally just a gathering of friends. We had some editors come down from New York. We entertained them. We fed them. We, And that turned into having a concert, having big dinners, having art installations, um, and people wanted to participate. You know, we've had some incredible bands that have played here through the years, uh, from Jack White to Casey Musgraves to Alabama Shakes, Jason Isbell. And uh, I just did this play. They asked me to do a Shindig playlist because Shindig is not happening this year. Yeah, uh, And uh. there were 70... 74 bands that I had, I, I picked a song from every band that I played here. I'm sure I forgot some people, but um, yes. it's been a wonderful ride. And it's meant so much to our local community to have, uh, you know, not only just the amount of people that come in, it's a, it's a fairly small group, 
I mean, our area, I think, has 1,200 available hotel rooms. So it is you, you are limited of how many people you can bring in. Um, but it's also the type of people that are coming in and their word of mouth and the energy energy they bring. Um, it can when you bring folks into a small town and they mix with the locals, it's a little bit of a, a get to know each other process. Yeah. And that is honestly the coolest thing about it is watching all the locals that are super fired up to have people coming to visit their town. It sounds so cool. So yeah. tell me about the, I mean, has it become an all hands on deck, a community effort, the time, the spend, <laughs> why is it all worth it? What What have you seen come from it? Yeah. Why does it make sense yeah. still after 11 uh, years? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an effort. I mean, it overtakes our entire office for a good two months and wow. you know for and then for another portion of the office it's become you know almost a six to nine month project that people work on uh it's worth it in the in the way that it um certainly establishes a great sort of lifestyle around what we do it definitely speaks to uh you know the the idea of community yeah. and the people in our community it brings attention to their efforts whether it's an up-and-coming chef whether it's a a musician, you know, that's looking, you know, that's we feel that's got an opportunity to to uh, to make it for themselves, or it. But it it also means so much to the community just from a spiritual standpoint. You know, it's really is something that um, we're all very proud of, and yeah. to show off the area and, and have these people come in. You know, financially, I think it's. It's not really a, a huge money maker, and it's not really a something that we lose money on either. Yep. Uh, but we feel like the residual benefits of it are completely worth it for not only for the community but for the brand in general. Yes, not to end on a bad, sad note, no. but to not have it this no, year. No, <laughs> I, I said it. I went there. Um, <laughs> what does yeah. it mean? What does it mean to not have it? Uh, what kind of a I, loss is that? I've tried not to think about it too much, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's been, it's, you know what it's done is made, it's really made me appreciate it. You know, when you, we've done it, uh, last year was our 12th, 12th year. Oh, wow. I think, I think, yeah, 12th with you. <laughs> so when we've done it, that you, you begin to take it for granted. You begin to, you know, look at like how much work goes into it. You start to ask those questions that you just asked, is this worth it? Yeah. Um, what do we get out of this? Um, and you start to look at how do you make it better? How do you do something different than the last time you had it? You know, so you, you fall into some of those, um, you know, traps of doing the same thing or, you know, or, um, you got to change it up. So if anything, it's made me appreciate it, but it's very sad not to do it. I can't tell you how many texts I get per week. <laughs> from friends going, what's up with Shindig? Are we having Shindig this year? And, you know, you have to, you know, yes. let them down easy a little bit. <laughs> but it'll be back. We'll figure it out. And, um, you know, we'll we'll make it. I, I think it'll make it even better. I really Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. It'll yeah. be, you'll pick up where you left off. 
You'll have yeah. rethought everything. I will be there. So, you know. <laughs> you, you definitely need to make sure you're here for that. Yeah. Totally. It's so much, so much fun. And the, it, honestly, the best part is the people. It's I'm just sure. a, um, ah, it's just got such a good spirit to it. And it's something that we, it wasn't our intention. You know, I never thought it would turn into something like this, but it, it's, it's kind of neat that it has. A life of its own. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Billy. Yeah, we are out of time. This has been amazing. Oh, I, I appreciate you talking it out. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.